listening to a podcast of Elam Lutheran Church in Osakis, Minnesota. Our passion is to be an oasis of life-giving water where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment. For more information and to find out more about our ministries, please visit osakiselamchurch.com. Or if you're in the area, come visit us in person. Our text for this morning's message comes from the book of Acts. This is going to be Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. Acts 11, verses 1 through 18. And I'll ask you to rise this morning for the reading of God's Word. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord, nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ... Who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even the Gentiles, even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. We thank you that you came not just for insiders, but for outsiders. Because that is all of us. God, I ask that you would speak to each person who is here. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. One of the scariest places on planet Earth, I submit to you, is the high school cafeteria. Who are you going to sit with? Ever been a new kid at, at school? Man, terrifying thing, right? You walk in and 
You look around and we've got all the tables, all the people in their little cliques and they're, they're sitting together. You've got the, uh, the cool kids, right? The popular kids, kids that everyone wants to be. You've got the jocks sitting over in the corner there. We've got uh, the band geeks, maybe we would call them that. See that in a, in a very nice way because I was in band, a lovingly a geek. Um, sitting over in their special spot too. We've got maybe the computer AV people over here. So people just kind of spread out all over the place, right? And I got news for you. If you're in high school or if you're in even elementary school, because this happens there too, uh, this does not stop after school is done. Just FYI. I mean, have you ever been sent to a conference, a work conference by yourself with like a really huge crowd there? Man, it can be an intimidating thing. Like, table for one at Perkins, please. I mean, and we can, we can look at, at this and in this sitting together at, at tables as sort of like uh, an innocuous thing. It's, it's harmless. It's annoying. We have to put up with it, and we're all kind of a part of the system and stuff, too. We get that. But really, it's not all that big a deal, is it? Well, here's what I need to convince you of today, is that there's a lot more at stake in this way of operating than we at first tend to think. Because who we eat with, who we spend our time with, who we do life with is actually a really good indicator of what we believe about God's grace. Who we eat with is a very good indicator of what we actually believe about God's grace. That's where we're headed. Today's text this morning is from the book of Acts, and Acts is, Acts is super exciting. If you want like the most action-packed book of the Bible, I submit to you that Acts has got to be up towards the top because there's all sorts of exciting things happening. The Holy Spirit is is being poured out on people. People are speaking in tongues. Uh, tongues of fire are descending and people are having visions here and there. The, the time of the early church is a very unique time uh, in the church's history. So there's a lot of cool stuff that's going on. And today we're talking about a vision. Uh, a vision that happened with a couple of different people, Peter and Cornelius. So this is in Acts 10 and on into 11, and it, so it, it takes up a, a lot of space in the book of Acts. So what happens is the events themselves get described, and then the events get described themselves again verbatim as Peter relates them to the apostles, and one of the visions even gets repeated three times. So well, what's, what's going on here? Basically, the, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is being poured out beyond just the Israelites, right? It's going out beyond them and to the Gentiles. And this is, this is sort of shocking for, for everyone to see because it was for the Israelites, it was for God's chosen people that He came, it was through them that the Messiah was going to come, and so there's this gentleman by the name of Cornelius. We don't know a ton about him. We know he was God-fearing. We know that he gave to the poor. And we know that he was a, a firm believer in God. But he was not a Jew. He was a Gentile. He was an outsider, right? And Cornelius has this, 
this vision where an angel comes to him and says, send to Joppa, which is the city by the sea, send to Joppa for Peter, right? The apostle Peter was staying there at that time. And so he does this, and he sends a delegation to Peter. Well, as this delegation is coming, Peter has a vision of his own, and this vision is crazy. This is the vision of the, the sheet. So there's there's this, this big sheet that descends from heaven by the four corners, and it's full of of all sorts of different kinds of animals, right? Four-footed creatures and, and winged birds and, and reptiles. Well, what's the big deal about this? Well, you go back to Leviticus, you look at the purity laws for the Israelites, for the Jewish people, these are un, many of these are unclean animals, clearly. They're not supposed to eat them, they're not supposed to touch them. And yet a voice comes down from heaven saying, Peter, take and eat. And how does Peter respond? He's like, by no means, Lord. Nothing unclean has, not only have I not eaten anything unclean, but it's not even come, come close to me. It hasn't even, hasn't even touched my, my lips at this point. And so this, this sheet, it, it descends a number of, of different times, and, and Peter responds uh, in, this, in this way. Uh, but then the delegation shows up at his house, and the Holy Spirit speaks to him and tells him, look, you need to meet with this delegation. You need to go with them to Cornelius' house. And so he does. He goes there. He preaches a sermon. All sorts of people, like, get saved and are baptized. Really this amazing, amazing thing. And at the end of it, they ask Peter to stay with him for a few days. Okay? That's all of the, the pre-story. So today's text picks up with Peter meeting with the apostles in Jerusalem. And they've heard about all this stuff that's happened, right? They've heard that Gentiles are, are starting to come to faith. They've heard that the gospel is on the move, that like big conversions, big changes are, are happening. And what are the first words out of their mouths? How can you eat with those people? How can you eat with those sinners? They're impure. You're not supposed to even go near them, much less share, share table fellowship with them, right? Like, what are, you, what are you thinking, Peter? That, that's not how this is supposed to work. Like, the gospel is, is for us. We are the, the ones, the, the specially chosen ones, the, the worthy, the pure ones, not them out there. To put this into a modern-day context, it would be sort of like this. Let's say you show up at the church here, and you're, you're all excited, and you say to me, Pastor, guess what? You'll never believe what happened. Down at the liquor store, a whole biker gang came to faith in Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? And then I said to you, well, what were you doing down at the liquor store? You know, you really, you really shouldn't be hanging out there. Like, you're kind of missing the point, right? The point is that a bunch of people have, have come to faith. But this is a big thing, this, this conflict kind of between the Jews and the Gentiles all throughout the New Testament is the, the Jews, and in particular, a, a specific group within the Jewish people that he calls the circumcision group, who have it in their minds that they are the pure ones, that God is, is for them, and he's not really for all these other other people, anyone outside of their specific group, right? This is the first time that this issue, this conflict between 
believers and or Jews and Greeks has really kind of rears its head, but it comes up. There's a, a council that takes place in Acts, in the book of Acts. And there's another place, and I want to share this with you now. So we're going to take a little bit of a detour and go to the book of Galatians. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Galatians 2, 11 through 14. And this issue has to do, again, with table fellowship between Jews and Gentiles. And Peter and Paul are going to have a massive disagreement on this. So here's how it goes. When Cephas came to Antioch, Cephas being Peter, when Cephas came to Antioch, this is Paul talking, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For be... Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined with him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel... I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? You've got to believe in something pretty strongly to stand up to a fellow apostle in their faith, right? This has to be a, a pretty big, a pretty massive issue. And if you are familiar at all with the book of Galatians, you'll know that Paul's tenor, his, his tone, kind of the mood in the book of Galatians is really, really fierce. Like, he's not, he's not messing around. Usually there's a little greeting like, hey, how you doing? Uh, this is paraphrasing. Hey, how you doing? Say hello to so-and-so. Uh, blessings, grace, and peace to you. But in Galatians, man, he just gets like right to the quick, and he's using strong language. There's even one part in the book where he says, see with what big letters I write. Like, he's writing this out big and bold for them to see, because for him, a lot is at stake here. But why? That, that seems a little strange to me, doesn't it? Of all the reasons to get upset and frustrated, who you sit with at the lunch table doesn't really seem to be one of them, does it? Like, man, there's, they're the, we get together with our groups of people who have common things together, and, you know, that's just, that's sort of how it is, right? Like, that, there's nothing huge, there's nothing massive at stake here, is there? I was always confused when I read the book of, the Galatia, book of Galatians because this book, the central core of this book is justification by faith. So whenever I got to this section where it's talking about table fellowship, I was always just kind of, I wasn't sure what this was all about because it didn't seem to connect to that teaching, to justification by faith at all. It's just like its own little side issue that maybe he's, he's dealing with here, right? But that's not the case at all because if you look in the next couple of verses here, this is immediately following in Galatians. This is verses 15 and 16, immediately following what, what he says about his argument with, with Peter. 
He says, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Justification by faith, right? Apparently, this is tied or has very important implications for table fellowship. How can that be? What's the, what's the connection there? Well, I think what, what he's, he's, he's driving at here and what Paul is trying to reveal is that it's entirely possible to believe something and yet not live it out, right? It's entirely possible to say, I believe in this truth, I believe in this doctrine, yet at the same time, have your life not reflect that. So justification by faith, what that tells us, what that doctrine tells us is that we are declared righteous, good, pure, holy, on the basis of Jesus Christ and faith in Him, faith alone and all that He has done. That means our value, our worth does not come from any human categories. And as human beings, we tend to assign worth and value based on any number of categories, right? How old someone is, what particular ethnicity they might be, what their social economic class is, politically, how do they vote, what are, what are their interests, all of these categories of determining people's worth, when Jesus Christ comes, all of those are eliminated as far as our standing with God because our value in the eyes of Jesus Christ is no longer determined by any of these earthly categories. Your worth and your value comes from God's grace. It doesn't come from you or from any of the ways that we measure worth and value here in this life, right? So, I'm going to share with you this quote because I think it, it gets at the heart of this. It says, the continuation of ethnic distinctions at meals in Antioch, in other words, continuing to divide up by sitting at different tables, essentially, is not just a communal malfunction, but an outright denial of justification by faith. Wow. That's a strong statement. But I think what's behind that is a really important truth, that if we truly believe there are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God, we will live as if that's true. We will fellowship as if that's true. We will enjoy food with people as if that is true. And the divisions will not be based on any sort of human worth or merit or value that this earth, this earthly realm tends to ascribe to them. So if, if you need just kind of a, a good handhold way to grasp this, there are no second-class citizens in the kingdom 
of God. No one is more worthy than anyone else. No one is more in need of God's grace than anybody else. There's no yellow belt sinners, black belt sinners, right? Before the cross, the cross is is like this great equalizer and everyone kneels before it. With that background in mind, I want to just throw up a a reflection question for, for you to consider. Who are the people that we might be reluctant to accept into our numbers? Uh, who are the people in, in my life that I tend to view as an outsider? We've all got these, these people. We all have, have people that we have passed by or, or people that we know or, or pay lip service to the idea that this is someone for whom Christ has died, but accepting? Hmm, maybe not so, so willing to go there. Man, that, that cuts me to the quick because I'm right there. I'm right there. Now, just a, a, a brief caveat here, which I think is important. With all this talk of, you know, rubbing shoulders and barriers being dropped between Jews and Gentiles and between righteous and unrighteous and, and pure and impure and how we're all just in this together, kind of. Someone might legitimately say, well, yeah, pastor, that's great, but doesn't the Bible also command us to, uh, to not be polluted by the world? Like James literally spells that out. Religion that I consider pure and faultless is this, that you look after orphans and widows in your distress and keep yourselves from being polluted by the world. And I think that's a good point. I think that is a, there's a ton of wisdom there that we need to, to deeply consider. Absolutely. So please don't hear me wrong. I am not, Pastor Luke is not advocating that you take your family out and found some, find some underground gambling ring and infiltrate it and start passing out tracts so that they can come to Jesus, right? But what I am saying is that a lot of times, myself included, when I say something like this, like, aren't I supposed to keep myself away from all of the, the mess? When I say that, a lot of times it's out of fear of what my reputation is going to be like for associating with those people. Like, I worry about what others are going to say about me. I worry what other people are going to think about me. I worry what, you know, how is the community going to perceive this, right? So my motives for doing that are not purely altruistic. They're, they're kind of selfish. Like, I just don't want my reputation sullied. It's not so much that I, I don't want to impure or something. And I think um, another reason that oftentimes we'll use this as kind of a a smokescreen is I think we sometimes have a, a false understanding of what purity actually is. You see, purity is something that's gifted to us. It's not something that we craft on our own. Purity is purely a gift. It is God's gift to us in Jesus Christ. It's not something that we attain. It's not something that we are able to 
arrive at, it is based solely on His death and His resurrection for us. And that doesn't change. And then finally, I guess something that I, I would say, and I think this is a huge encur- encouragement. This is from Luke 10, verse 1. Jesus sending out the 72 disciples. It says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of Him to every town and place where He was about to go. When He sends His disciples out, He sends them two by two. He doesn't send them out as lone rangers. There's no such a thing as a lone ranger Christian, right? God gives us one another. God gives us the church. So we're never out there just kind of hanging by a thread on our own. Instead, God sends us out two by two. The gospel tears down our preconceptions about who is and who is not worthy. What it does is it abolishes all man-made systems of measuring value and worth. The cross is the great leveler. Before Jesus, we are all spiritually bankrupt. God's salvation is for all, regardless of ethnicity, social class, or track record. As Timothy says in 1 Timothy 2.4, God, our Savior, wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. God wants everyone to repent and believe the good news. So I want to challenge you and to consider and really pray about the question, who might that person or that family be in my life? Who might God be nudging me to get to know better, build a friendship with, spend some time with, invite over for a summer barbecue, see what I did there? Who we eat with is a good indicator of what we actually believe about God's grace. May He continue encouraging us to reach outside of our comfort zones. Because, guys, the message of the gospel is too good not to be shared. Amen. Hey, friends. Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's Word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's pastorkjolhaug at gmail.com. As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen.